Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women, a podcast that provides a platform for women of all walks of life to share their upbringings, life lessons learned, experiences, and journeys to come. Uncommon Women speaks on topics that can relate to all women. We share, we listen, we laugh, we cry, and we empower each other to be the best uncommon woman that they can be. Ultimately, we are cultivating a global movement of women supporting women. Women supporting entrepreneurship, relationships, self-love, and so much more. We inspire each other to make an impact on this world for the better. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Uncommon Women. Now, finally, grab a seat, get comfortable, and hear from your wonderful host, Shanira and Jenny Lee. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women. I'm Shanira. And I'm Jenny Lee. And today we have an amazing guest speaker that's going to hit the stage in just a few. Uh, we have an amazing speaker by the name of Todd, who is a business owner, author, father, mentor. And today he's going to be sharing his testimony and how he transformed his life from once being involved in the streets to now walking in his purpose. Uh, so thank you so much, Todd, for coming on uh, today, Uncommon Women, and being a part of us. Uh, before we get into your journey and your testimony, uh, can you tell us a fun fact about yourself? Well, let me start by saying it is an honor to be here. I'm very flattered. Um, a fun fact about me, I'm a really <laughs> good singer. I really can sing. I had a passion for singing. I was just always afraid to step out of my comfort zone. It's like... It's like something you just got to trust me on. I'm not going to sing for you. Like it's I was about to say, you know that was next. You know I was going to say, are you going to hit us with a twinkle twinkle today? Or like, we just <laughs> like I've been writing music since I was like 13 years old. Like, but wow. yeah, that's a fun, yeah, it's a fun fact. Yeah. Okay, I'm the real Chris so Brown. I'm not going to hear you sing. I'm just saying, like, when One you day. step into that purpose. Maybe, maybe. Mm, I agree with Shanera. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, that's progress, that's progress. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how was your life uh, growing up? Well, um, I grew up in a single-parent household. Um, very, very toxic, you know. At the time, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of just perceive things and, and receive things as normal. You know, uh, it wasn't normal for me to... You know, it wasn't normal for me to eat a box of raisin bran and think it's really raisins in it when it wasn't. You know, like um, my mother was very absent, very neglectful. Um, my father was not in the picture until I was about 16 years old. And then he was killed by the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, he was shot 38 times. Um, my great grandmother and a dear aunt of mine played a very key role uh, in raising me because of my mother's neglect and abandonment. And, you know, they did what they could. You know, I'm the oldest sibling of um, four sisters. Uh, that was rough, you know, being 10, 11 years old, you know, making sure my sisters have something to eat, you know, when my mom's nowhere to be found. You know, um, my childhood, it, it was pretty dark. It was. It was pretty dark. You know, I was that kid that felt like I was put here for no reason. You know, I was that kid that felt like 
you know, if my own mom or, you know, other family members I have in my family don't love me, like what I'm worthless, you know, like which contributed to me acting out, you know, mm. to get attention, to, 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 to have people look at me like, you know, like prime example, I'm gonna give you prime example. I got in a lot of trouble in school, elementary, middle school, high school. And I love that my name was called over the speaker when I got in trouble for the whole school to hear me. You know, like that's how bad it was. Cause I just wanted to feel involved. I wanted to feel cared about. I wanted, I wanted attention that I did not receive that I should have received, you know, growing up in the household that I grew up in, you know, and it, it, it's, there's certain things I'm still, you know, working on healing from, you know, we're all a work in progress, but you know, my childhood contributes to me trying to be the person I knew I needed back mm -hmm. then, you know, because I needed someone and I didn't have anyone, you know, my grandmother tried, my aunt tried, but they had, you know, things of their own to, you yeah. know, deal with and, and, and kids to raise and, you know, a family to take care of, you know, but yeah, that was my childhood in a nutshell. Do you feel like you had to grow up faster than normal children um, at the age of 10 and 11, you know, to take care of your younger siblings? Yes. Yes. Very, very. There was, there was very few fun in my life as a child. Very little fun. You know, I can't tell you how many times I burned myself on the stove mm. trying to make a grilled cheese or something, you know, to, to, to put food in my, me and my sister's stomach. You know, um, my household you had to fend for yourself whether you was a child or not you know like you had to you had to fend for yourself which contributed to me i had my first apartment man when i was like 17 years old mm. you know like because i got tired of the environment you know i got i was forced to grow up when i sh i shouldn't have been forced to grow up you know right. i i i i should have i should have more happy childhood memories you know but those are things i no longer resent because it contributed to who i am it contributed to how self-sufficient i am it has contributed to my hustle as a small business owner you know it has contributed to my heart and how i care about other kids who go through this stuff that you might not see you know or they might not even know how to express so yes i grew up very very fast by also by being exposed to a lot of things that I shouldn't have been exposed to, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of that kind of tainted and distorted my perception on love, relationships, support, care, you know, things that are really pivotal when being a human being. Right. Taking a look back at your life now and, you know, trial and error of trying to cook. Do you enjoy cooking now? I don't. I feel, I wow! Don't. I'm telling I'm telling you right now. I could show you guys a screenshot of my debit card transactions for takeout. And oh my goodness! It's ridiculous. I literally eat McDonald's for breakfast every single day. Not good. Wow! Every yeah. like could, after this, not. after this, after this podcast, I'm going to order Domino's. <laughs> I'm going to get a Philly cheesesteak pizza with some habanero wings and a Pepsi. 
know, and and you know, it's crazy because you know I can laugh at stuff like that now, but mm-hmm. it also comes from you know an unhealed core issue mm-hmm. and things that I've been through because like we were so broke, so poor, you know. Now that you know the the Lord has blessed me to be able to finance my eating habits, you know, like yeah. I spend a mass amount of money on food, like I I really do, I really do. We got to change that, especially if you got kids, you know. <laughs> My son is no better. My son is no better. I mean, I'm sure they enjoy it. <laughs> I, could, oh, yeah. I mean, we got. I, go ahead, Jenny. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do enjoy it because, you know, nobody wants to cook. So the best thing. The next best thing is just buying out. Like, hey, you don't got to cook it. You ain't got to make it. All you got to do is pay for it. Exactly. Kill two birds with <laughs> one stone. Yep. <laughs> I'm all about working smarter, not harder. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so as a kid, um, all right, let's, so let's get into, you know, your lifestyle of being in the streets and how that transitioned. You said you got your own place at 17. How were, how were you able to uh, provide for um, your apartment at 17? Well, I, uh, I probably start, first started selling drugs at like the age of 13, 14. Um, oh, wow, that's so young. One of my uncles back then, he was renowned for being, you know, a gangster in our small community and you know it's crazy i actually mm-hmm. remember i have these memories of when i had to be maybe seven eight years old of him sending me to houses with a vial of white stuff in it and uh, back then i didn't know what it was right growing up i found out it was crack cocaine you know wow. like so yeah about the age of 13 14 that's when i first started selling weed you know like i i i needed the the importance that money meant to me came early on, very early, okay. too early. And I yeah. wish it didn't. I mm-hmm. really wish it didn't, you know, because I didn't have, I don't have anyone to get me the stuff that I need. You know, like, I can't tell you how many times as a young kid that I'm out somewhere shopping and I don't even know my size. Like, I don't even know what mm-hmm. size I wear. I'm just buying stuff, you know, like, so I was selling weed, you know, for a couple years at that and then you know I, I i i did partake in in other things you know like i i'm not a i'm not proud of things that i've done but i am no longer ashamed you know like mm-hmm. i've committed robberies i've robbed stores i mean at gunpoint you know i've i mean stuff like broad daylight you know hungry in the pit of my stomach like yo i got to make something happen Nobody's going to make something happen for me. And that created this 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 image of self-sufficiency in my head that really made me shut a lot of people out. You know, like mm-hmm. I got to do this for myself. No one else has my back. I got to yeah. do this. I got to do this. You know, so I mean, in high school, I'm wearing eight hundred dollar pairs of jeans, six hundred dollar yeah. pairs of jeans, you know, like because by the time I got to high school, I made my name you know, made my traction in the streets, you know, back then, you know, anyone, if anyone knew me, they knew, you know, I'd either fight you or I'd shoot you either or, you know, because something that something else that 
really messed with me is, believe it or not, I used to get teased a lot about my freckles. I like, I really did. I used to get teased a lot. Wow. And I hated it. I hated it. Like, I hated it. Being the mixed kid, it wasn't that common back then. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I was the mixed quiet kid. And then, you know, people started testing me, not knowing that my uncle was a pro boxer and he was training me since I was about eight, nine years old. You know, mm-hmm. like, so I started having to come out my shell and that, that, that showed itself in many other ways too. You know, it showed itself in, you know, the form of, you know, transitioning from weed to crack or, mm-hmm. you know, me carrying guns or me pistol whipping somebody, or, you know, it, it manifested in the most unhealthy ways that on the other side of the spectrum helped me survive, right. you know, like, because my thing was, okay. If you know what I'm going to do, if things hit the fan and that's what's keeping you away from me to not bother me, then by so be it, leave me alone. You know, like leave me alone because even though I was doing the things that I was doing, I still had a conscience, right. you know, like I still had a conscience and I still had a very, very loving grandmother that because of the things I was out there doing, you know, I, I, I hated to look in the face. You know, like here is her perception of her little baby boy, not even knowing like I'm out here. I'm an actual street thug that has put bullets in people that has sold drugs, that have robbed local stores, that has stolen cars, that has, you know, did did all these things, you know. But um, but yeah, I I, I apologize. I believe I strayed away from the original question. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're you're flowing really good. Um. So I, that brought up actually another question based off of what you were speaking on. Did anybody, any of your relatives or your family or, you know, a guardian notice that you had this type of name brand? Anyone ask, like, where are you getting this money from or just was everything kept under the rug? I mean, it was it was like half and half, you know, okay. like okay. some members knew some didn't, you know, like I remember the first time my mom saw my gun. And I was standing in front of her. I was about 17. I was standing mm-hmm. in front of her. Um, she lived in a separate household. And uh, I was out there with two of my friends. And, like, this was the weekend. This was the time to get it in, you know. And it was hot. And I, I, wasn't, even, I wasn't even thinking. So I started, like, lifting up my shirt, like, fanning myself. And, like, my, my big gun is just hanging off my hip. And, like, she freaked out. You know, like she freaked mm. out. She's like, what are you doing? She she has a very deep fear of guns. Um, unfortunately, her mother uh, was murdered by one, you know, so mm. that contributes to her, her deep fear. That that happened before I was even thought of. She was about right. nine, nine or 10 years old. And um, yeah, like, and I remember her reaction and I couldn't help but think like, what do you expect? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm out here fending for myself and then I'm running with a squad who's pretty much in the same position as me. We got to pave a way for ourselves, you know, to live, to eat, you know, like it wasn't, you know, a lot of people these days, they get in the game for the wrong reason. You know, Mm -hmm. like back then it was like, you had to survive. It started as survival and then it started, you know, flat and then it transitioned into flashy. You know, Mm -hmm. So basically, it was just like so much lack in your life that, you know, you used the streets for that. That was the only way that it was the only thing that you taught and you knew. So that's 
understandable when you're when you start running the streets and put yourself in that type of lifestyle you know right 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 well you did you did match I'm, I'm sorry what were you gonna say i'm sorry no i was I was gonna say like before I moved out on my own, my first apartment, mm -hmm. I remember eight of us, eight of us being crammed into a two bedroom apartment, man. Wow. Like, eight of us. I mean, I've slept on the balcony on Ash Park Apartments to, you know, wow. to make sure I had somewhere to lay. I had to smoke weed. I hated weed. I hated, I hated smoking weed. I had to <laughs> smoke weed just to go to sleep, Damn. you know, like roaches, bed bugs, you know, stuff like that. And I'm still, you know, I'm still in the streets, but I felt as though I didn't have the resources or, or the money yet to, to, to go do what I wanted to do to finally leave, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I found a landlord, you know, who didn't care that I was a minor, you mm -hmm. know, he, all he wanted was the money. The money. That worked for right. Me, you know? <laughs> yeah. That worked for me. You know, my first apartment, I had a two bedroom for six hundred dollars, man. Like I wish we could go back to that. And, oh, I know, right? I'm telling, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man. Like, but but yeah, like these these unfortunately, I learned most of my smarts in the streets. Like mm -hmm. a lot of my intelligence was crafted and built because of real life situations mm. that I was forced in or, or sometimes even chose to be in, you know, like, especially okay. when, you know, when you subject yourself to things like that, to a lifestyle like that, then you're opening up a door of a lot of things to come your way. Right. You know, like to like, by the grace of God, I'm not dead, mm -hmm. you know, like, like seriously. So I had to use what, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I was still going to school and everything. I mean, but Coatesville was so small. Teachers knew what we were doing. Right. You know, like teachers would let us leave class to go make sales. You know, like they, sadly, they understood, especially a lot of them that knew me, knew my story, knew my household, knew my family, knew my mom. Like It was like nobody could blame me for real. Yeah. You were placed in a situation that it's never your fault, you know? So, exactly. you know, you did talk about how, you know, that you would, you know, you robbed people, you shot at people. Was there ever time that you were shot at, you know, or did you, you know, did somebody shoot you at you or, you know, what were you thinking at those moments when you were in those situations? Well, I've, I've been shot at multiple times. Because back then, I'm going to be honest. Like I was a very cocky, egotistical. Like I was, I was really a light skinned dude. No, no offense, to any light skinned guys out there watching right now. But I was a very eager. Like, like I would talk because I knew I could back up what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But I had a way with words and and my demeanor that I'd make you want to shoot me with mm -hmm. with how cocky and egotistic and boastful that I was. You right. know, um, I'm gonna give you an example. One time, <laughs> this dude, man, he got mad at me for giving his his girlfriend a cigarette. Crazy, I know. He got, he got mad. So we had some words, and um, I tried to tell him, like, dude, it's not that serious. You know, uh, just a cigarette. You know, like you're really, you know, because <laughs> I had this, I had this, I had this way of sometimes. 
I would really try to be diplomatic for the other person's safety because right. I knew what I was capable of. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was capable of. And the other person, sometimes they didn't know what I was capable of or, you know, the name or the reputation that I had ended up, you know, getting and earning, you know, like, so I leave, uh, I, I was in a bar. I was in a bar. You know, if anyone knows Coatesville, man, they're not card nobody. You know, like, I've been in bars since I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm leaving the bar, man. This guy's outside waiting for me. Outside waiting for me. This was out front of the tavern in Coatesville on the western cigarette. side. Huh? Over a cigarette. <laughs> He's outside waiting for me, right? And I see him holding something in his hand. It's a gun. It's a 25 caliber. I know guns, you know? And I told him, I said, what are you going to do with that? I've seen it now. So uh, you either better get me first or uh, your mom going to have to bury me. At the time, for at this time, for some reason, I didn't have one on me. I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know why, because I usually did. So he walks across the street. He keeps saying, you must really want me to down you. You must really want me to down you. And I told him, I said, you don't got the heart to do it. That's what's wrong with y'all. Y'all mouths don't match your heart. So he started shooting at me. He started shooting at me. And I lied to you not, as God is my witness. I'm walking towards this dude as he's shooting at me. I'm walking towards him. I'm walking towards him. As God is my witness. I'm walking towards him, shooting at me. And I'm talking smack to him while he's missing. I said, you missed. You missed again. You missed again. And then he ran out of bullets, 25 calibers. They only hold maybe a max of like six. He ran out of bullets and he ran to his girl's car and I ran after him. I later found out that a bullet went through the top of my Timberland boot. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, one of them kind of not pierced me, but went through my boot. Like, it went through the top, like next to the top loop on the Timberland. Mm hmm you know, like, and I was like, wow, like, okay, it's all good. Now I know what I got to do, you know. Um, but just to update me and that man, by the grace of God, we're very cool. Mm -hmm. I see him all the time, you know, by by God's grace. You know, I see him all the time. We shake each other's hands. We, you know, we were young, man. We were right. young. We were young. We were full of testosterone. Yeah. We were full of anger. We were full of stuff that we just needed to get out and we would look for reasons to get it out, mm -hmm. you know, like, but you know, that was just one of the many times I've been shot at. I actually got shot. A bullet finally hit me. Um, it was spring of 2016. Um, it was a very, 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 very stupid situation between me and a guy. And, um, you know, it's crazy, man. I actually found a picture of me and this guy. Um, we were probably like 10 years old with our arms around each other up in yeah. Mr. Jack's camp, you know? Wow. And, um, so I come out uh, of a bar and, um, I heard this guy, you know, through the grapevine, you know, he was talking stuff about me or, or whatever. And, you know, sometimes most of the time, you know, I, I would ignore stuff like that mm -hmm. because in my head, I'm like, okay, don't have the audacity or the courage to say it to my face because you know what would happen you know so i see him i'm drunk and my favorite line when i 
I'm telling you, I used to, I, I used to, I used to act and talk like you know I'd make you want to shoot. My favorite line was like, "Why the f are you staring at me like I owe you money?" Mm. You know, and then he just went off. You know, he started talking and stuff. And first thing I think about, my like, I know this guy has a gun on me because he wouldn't be talking to me this way if he didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so we ended up in the alley, and um, I actually had my gun on him first. But at the time, my son slept in the bed with me. So I never kept one in the chamber because of my son slept in my bed with me. And I pulled the trigger. Nothing's happening. You know, the one second it took for me to pull my gun back and cock it and load a bullet. I was hit. I was in my stomach. I got shot. There's bullet holes still in this porch post down at this alley where this happened at. And... I'm not trying to sit here and sound like this super, you know, macho man. I'm not, I'm not macho man, no. really savage, but <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, like it just felt like it felt like a beast thing, you know, bullet, bullet wounds and injuries. Their pain depends on if it stays in, if it hits something, you know, or if it goes in and out. You right. Know? And mine went in and out. But when I realized I was hit, you know, I, I unloaded my whole clip on this dude, you know, like, my whole clip and I leave the alley and you know, I'm just bleeding. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I didn't go to the hospital for about an hour and a half later because I was so filled with rage, anger, you know, like I was filled with, I was filled with hate. Like, man, this dude really shot me over what I was shot for. Mm -hmm. So I actually went to my friend's house, a street over and I got more bullets. You know, I took, I t- man, I was, it was something wrong with me, man. Like, I got more bullets while I'm bleeding out. And I put more bullets in my gun, and me and my friend, we went around, we went looking for this guy to finish the job. You know, like, I'm like, I'm not going, I told myself, I am not going to sleep until I kill this guy. I'm not going to sleep. I mean, I knew where his mom lived, all three of his girlfriends lived. Like, I was the kind of person, like, if we're going to have a problem, if we're going to beef, I'm going to make sure I can get you or get to you. If you ain't here, if you ain't there, if you ain't there, you know, and um, by that hour and a half, man, I, I started getting a little, a little, a little lightheaded and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the hospital. By this time, my right foot is full of blood. It's mm-hmm. just full of blood, just leaking, just leaking down my stomach, down my leg. And I walk into the hospital. I know this lady sees this big red blotch on my teeth. <laughs> And I'm looking at her. I said, ma'am, this is exactly how I said it. I said, ma'am, I've been shot. I need help. That's exactly how I said it. She's just staring at me, like, with her jaw dropped. And then, like, I just explode. I'm like, yo, this ain't a movie. Like, give me some help. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, but, but I have to be honest. I have to be honest, and I have to be transparent. You know, it's one thing to be shot at. It's one thing when the ball actually hit. I went through a lot of psychological problems after that situation. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of nightmares about, you know, him coming to finish the job. I had a lot of nightmares just about dying in general. You know, like I, I had, it does some, like something like that really does something, you know, to your right. mental, you know, right. it had to be because the next night I was back in the bar looking for him. Stomach, mm. banded, stomach bands, banded up and everything, you know, that's, that's, that's where I was. But I like to also share 
that that man and I are good friends, man. Because of the Lord's grace. You know? I notice, I notice when guys, and maybe this is just how things typically flow, but I notice when guys go through stuff, y'all duke it out or whatever the case may be, and y'all could be friends the next day versus girls. Like, we, we hold grudges or hold mm -hmm. um, hatred against that person for years here on yep. out. And I see where that correlates with your, your stories. Um, one thing I also noticed is you said that, you know, at that moment getting shot, you, it didn't really feel like anything. I think it's probably also because you were so angry and you had so much adrenaline going through you at the moment that you were just focused on getting him that you yeah. probably didn't feel the pressure that was going inside of you. Um, yeah. Was there... Yeah. Now, two of the stories that you told us, you said that you were in the bar. Bar, Was that a way of you coping through some things, um, drinking oh, or? Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. So go definitely. into that. So go into that. How did you get into, um, you know, drinking? And uh, was that a part of your addiction or was that just something that you enjoyed doing? Well, it was both, you know. <laughs> it was an addiction before I realized and identified that it was an addiction okay you know i just thought i liked to drink but there are underlying factors behind certain habits you know like there are underlying factors behind something you really like to do you know regardless of what it may be right you know um i remember my first alcoholic drink may she rest in peace my cousin nia I probably had to be like six years old and you know black people you know like give their kids alcohol some of them you know and i remember she gave me this drink she said here todd take the bottle take a sip i felt like someone had a blowtorch to my chest and i was oh my gosh it burns it burns it burns i'm like six years old like sanders and then my uncle, he used to give me uh, Colt 45 a lot when I was a kid. I think I had that when I was like in, like in like fourth grade. He used to give me a lot of Colt 45. I hated it. I hated it. But he was with all his friends, and I wanted to be, you know, a cool little nephew and stuff like that. And and then it ended up being one of my most, you know, later on, it ended up being one of my most favorite beverages just because it did the job, mm -hmm. you know. And that led to my alcoholism you know like if anyone knows me in this community when i was out there when they saw me nine times out of ten they assumed i was just having a good time todd likes to drink he likes to look good while he drinks he likes to spend money but little did they know I was trying to drown so much stuff, man. Like, I was trying to drown so much stuff, yo. Like, it, it actually brings tears to my eyes right now, thinking of how bad I was, you know, coming from the, the home that I did, having the childhood that I did, feeling like I didn't have a purpose, you know. I was trying to heal my scars with the wrong things, you know. And I'm telling you, I would... I would drink two fifths of something and then go to the bar and spend like three hundred dollars. 
Like, I can't tell you how many times I done blacked out and wake up in bed and, like, my car's outside. And I'm like, how did that happen? You know, like, it, it, it was a part of my journey that gave the illusion of fun. You know, it gave the illusion. It was an illusion. It was an illusion. It was an illusion to me. It was an illusion to other people. But even though it was an illusion to me, I still knew kind of what, for the most part, what I was doing. You know, like I wasn't one of those drinkers that, you know, I had to drink in the morning or anything like that. But that doesn't mean you're not an alcoholic. Right. I was the guy that, oh, I've never had a DUI. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never drank at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm. You know, like, and I, you know, as an addict, we justify, we rationalize, we minimize, yep. mm-hmm. you know, like, because we can't accept the truth. Right. We cannot accept the truth. So my alcoholism, man, it put me through the ringer. It really did. It put me through the ringer. It put my children's mother through the ringer. You know, mm. it put my family members through the ringer. And, you know, unfortunately, addiction runs in my family you know and by the grace of god i sit here today with over six years sober man yes praise god over six years i'm not one of those guys that i stopped drinking but i still do pills i stopped drinking that i but i still smoke weed weed wasn't my problem no i'm completely sober from Mm. any and all mind altering substances I don't put none of that in my body and it changed my life for the better. I'm telling mm. you. I'm telling you. That's amazing. During all your life challenges, uh, could you talk to any of your parents or do you have anyone that you look up to? Well, my mother, she 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 had a lot of boyfriends. And um, there was two that to this day, we're very, we're very tight. We're very cool. I actually do a lot of work with one of them, uh, Hersey and James. And like they, you know, they, they were somewhat father figures to me, but there was always that barrier kind of because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're no longer with my mom. I'm not their biological child, you know? So like there was kind of that barrier and they had their own kids and lives to, you know, but. I mean, James, James bought me my first cell phone. He bought me my first Sega, my first Dreamcast, my first <laughs> Xbox. Like, I love this little bald-headed dude, man. Like, <laughs> I hope you're watching, James. I love Shout you, out man. to James. I love you, I love you man. James, James Fraser, man. I love you, man. But, yeah, like, they, they, you know, they were figures. They were the male figures I never, I never had. But then it was only so much that could be done with their influences in, in my life, you know, especially yeah. after they done separated from my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but other than that, like one of my aunts, my, my aunt Sharon, Aunt Sharon, if you're watching, I love you. Um, she, she would literally look like her house was my escape. You know, her house was my way out of the hood because she lived outside of Coatesville. You know, like mm. I didn't have to worry about roaches up there or bed bugs up there. I didn't have to worry about there wasn't no food up there or right. lights wearing off, you know. And she actually, I recall childhood memories of her getting into arguments about adopting me. 
from my mother. You know, like, and she, she, she's like my second mom. You mm-hmm. know, like she, she, like to this day, like I, I go see her like every two days, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like every what, whatever she needs, I'm trying to send her on a little dinner cruise, and you know, like just, I've gotten to the point to just try to give back to those who did you know play play an important part in my life because you know the times my mother was going to jail and stuff people like my aunt sharon took me in i had somewhere mm-hmm. to be i had somewhere to go i was clothed i was fed you know but though it wasn't many people it wasn't many people that i could call on or rely on or look up to like i mm-hmm. said you know my father was in my life for a very very short period right and he was on the other side of the country you know he was in california you know like so unfortunately i didn't have as many people i would have liked to look up to and grow you know and and learn from i learned how to be a man the hard way right and it, it was not a pleasant process but it does and it did and still does bear fruit by mm. the grace of God. Yeah. That's amazing. Taking a look back at everything that you went through, do you remember what age where you felt like, you know, you just lost yourself and you just didn't want to continue with anything? Where was uh, your point? I'm sorry? Where was your breaking point? My breaking point was probably when my father was killed because all my life, I would ask my mother, where's my dad? Where's Mm -hmm. my dad? Where's my dad? My one of my uncles actually pulled up my father's picture on Chester County's most wanted one day. I was probably like 12 years old. He's like, that's your dad. And I see what he's wanted for. And he fled to Cali and, you know, made a new life. So it's crazy because I've never met him in person. But the moment we came into contact, he was there for me from the other side of the country. I mean, UPS was that at my house every other day with clothes and sneakers. Like he he spoiled me from the other side of the country. Mm. He's giving me like three hundred dollar money orders every week. You know, like we had first came into contact when I was in Glen Mill schools. I was serving a sentence up at Glen Mill schools, and um, every time I was supposed to go down there. I get back in trouble. Mm-hmm. I've been in the I've been in the justice system since I was 12 years old. I'm still currently in the justice system, mm-hmm. you know. And when he got killed, the video's still online. I don't I don't know why it is. He got shot 38 times. Video's still online, and I lost it because the first thing that came to my mind was anger towards my mother. Mm-hmm. You knew where he was this whole time. And now look, I could have had more time with him. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was with one of my friends. We're leaving Walmart. I was living with my aunt Sharon at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I ride by her and my uncle and I'm waving. They look at me. They didn't wave back. I'm like, man, something's wrong. Now my friend Dan, shout out to Dan. Um, he lived right down the street from my aunt Sharon. So my uncle calls me, my yeah. uncle Al. 
He said, hey, uh, are you okay? I said, uh, I'm fine. Why? What's, what's going on? He said, oh, nothing. Uh, when are you coming home? I said, I'll be up in a little bit. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Love you. I told Dan, I said, Dan, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So my room was on the first floor there. I go in the house. They're sitting on the couch. I'm like, hey, what's up? I go in my room. I go into my shoebox. You know, back in the day when, you know, us little drug dealers had shoeboxes with all our stuff in it and stuff. <laughs> our and, stash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, <laughs> and uh, I come out into the hallway. My Aunt Sharon is standing there, and she's just bawling like tears. Like, I'm looking at her so confused. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, and that's what she told me. Your dad was killed last night by the LAPD. He was shot 38 times. And I just stood there staring at her like, what? Just trying to process what I was just told. Because I was actually supposed to go down there probably like the next month. Wow. And I remember going back into my room, sitting on my bed. And I believe this is the moment. This is the moment I lost it because this is the moment I really, really had anger towards God. Mm. I really did. This is the moment I resented God. This is the moment I really cursed God. I told God, I said, you knew all my life I wanted my father. You knew how much it meant to me to have him, to have someone that loves me. And that's when something snapped in me. And I took my pain out on the streets. I really did. I really did. I took my pain. I, I I had no I had no regard for anything anymore. I didn't. You know, that was one of those things that I was just like, effort. Mm-hmm. Good stuff don't happen to me. Good stuff ain't gonna happen to me. I might as well get out here and raise hell. Mm-hmm. I believe it was maybe I believe it was maybe like a couple days after that. I went and shot some mine, you know, not for no reason, but us as human beings, we look for things to dish out. Mm-hmm. Our, we look for things to target to dish out what we're going right. through. Resentment. You know, and it took me a long time to even, I guess, become like human again because I was so mad. I was this close. And then I battled a lot of guilt and shame and resentment of myself also because if I didn't keep getting in trouble how I was getting in trouble, I would have been down there. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my dad told me on a Wednesday, call me this weekend. I said, okay, dad. I never called him because I was running the streets. He died that Monday night. I battled so much, so much resentment and guilt within myself. Like, I couldn't forgive myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. And that was the moment. 
that was the moment I believe I really became a monster. Mm. I mean, just that week alone, you know, usually when you commit crimes, you try to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. So you don't get caught. Right. That same week I walked into I walked into a Chinese store down in Coastville, down in East End, no mask on, no nothing, about one PM in the afternoon. And I put a gun to the Chinese guy's face. I said, I will kill you if you don't empty this record. And the fear I seen on this guy's face, maybe before my dad passed, my conscience would have kind of like, you know, spoke up a little bit, but I felt nothing. Mm. You're numb. I was, you know, to this day, you know, I still watch the video here and there. Mm -hmm. Because that's the closest I'm going to get. You know, it's sad, but that's the closest I'm going to get. But yeah, that was, that was the moment. When did your transition, when you decided to like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need to change my life. I'm going to give you the date. I'm going to give you the exact date. It was July 2nd, 2016. Is when I was baptized in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But to back up a little bit, I got into a fight with my children's mother. It was a night we had a babysitter. Our plan was to meet at a bar, have some drinks, have a good time. My ego, being in Coachville, I had this thing about, you know, if you was my woman, we walk in together somewhere. So everyone knows, okay, she's off limits, you know. So I go outside because she was saying she was pulling up. I wanted to escort her in. And she's out here talking to this guy she used to mess with. And me being drunk, by this time, I lied to you. Now, I've been probably drinking 10 hours straight. And I snap. I walk up. I start cursing. I'm in there waiting for you, blah, blah, blah. And here's this young dude, you know, who don't really know. Like, I knew him, but he didn't really know me. Maybe through the grapevine. But didn't really know the demon I was inside, you know. And um, I remember telling him, I'm like, man, I'll drop you right now. Like, there was moments that I was in where my care switch would turn off. Mm-hmm. It was a survival method. My care switch, my conscience, the little bit of heart I may have had it would turn off. So I wouldn't feel anything. Guy, he um, says a couple words, runs across the street to his truck. I raise my gun. I'm about to start shooting at him. She smacks it out of my hand. I got mad because I thought I, my, my brain at the time, my my unhealthy mindset, my my addiction the, the things I'm going through and battling is telling me she's protecting me. Mm. When she was protecting me. If I would have did that, I'd still be in jail. 
Right. So we get into an argument. We go back to the bar. My ego. Bit of my hurt. I remember telling her, I said, I'll go in this bar and leave with any female I want. That pride kicked in. Yep. Exactly. It's one of the seven deadly sins for a reason. Mm-hmm. So she smacked him. Rightfully so. You know? And I hit her back. I hit her back. I punched her. And um, she proceeded to call the cops. I took her phone. I threw it in the street. And then I left. But in the course of all that, she said something. She said something that tore my soul in half. She told me I looked like the devil. And that was something my mother told me all my life. So when she said that, it really didn't resonate until I got home. And because of that situation, she took my son and she left. She left. We had an apartment together. She took my son and she left. And out of my catastrophic life, they were the only piece of peace that I had. You know, and I would come home and not even say nothing to her. But she was there. There. You know, like she was consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, she blocked me on every social media app. She changed her number. I cried myself to sleep for two weeks. Every night, I had to go through her friends to try to talk to her, see my son. I would make dinner, I started cooking. I'd make dinner every night hoping she would pop up and end up not even eating it because she never came. And then I walked into the mirror. I looked at myself in the mirror and like for the first, I don't want to say the first time, but it was one of those moments where I really didn't like what I saw. Mm -hmm. I didn't like what I felt. I left a trail of destruction behind me. Mm. I left a trail of pain. I left a trail of hurt to myself and to others. And I said, God, if you are really real, save me, please. If this, if this, if my habits, if my behaviors, if this alcohol is going to do what it's doing, I don't want any parts of it. Mm-hmm. I don't want any parts of it anymore. And then I, uh, it's crazy because this is the man that ended up baptizing me. He was my, he was my counsel, my drug and alcohol counselor at Gaudenzia. And um, I texted him because he's also a pastor. I texted him. I said, Chris, Chris, if you're watching, love you, man. I said, Chris, I'm ready, man. I'm, 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 I'm tired, Chris. I'm tired, man. And then her and I actually went and got baptized together. Oh, did you cook dinner that night? I'm just wondering. 
Did you cook dinner that night? I, I, I actually don't remember. I actually don't <laughs> remember. And then it's crazy because uh, baptism is so powerful. I actually tried a wine cooler on the next day and my body like threw it up. Mm. Like, so I made my sobriety date July 4th. So July 4th is my sobriety date and I have over six years. Yeah. So that, you know, that, yes. that was, and to this day I visit the, re I don't think I mentioned that. I did end up going to rehab. I spent a hundred days in pyramid today mm -hmm. uh, up, up in Langhorn and, um, it was the best hundred days of my life, man. Mm. I was sitting in there like, you mean to tell me there's places like this where people can take a break from life to come in, sharpen yeah, themselves, yeah. learn, grow, and then re-enter life with a better chance? Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And I actually still visit that place to this day. Six years later, That's I still awesome. visit to... You know, because their cycle is only like every 30 to 100 days. So I visit to to tell Pete to share mm. the hell that God had pulled me out of. Yes. You know, and I have to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the story doesn't end there. It's just the beginning. You yes. know, the, mm -hmm. the story doesn't end there. You know, if if. If anyone knows me, I'm I'm very transparent. You know, I'm very I'm very um I have no shame about anything I've ever done. You mm -hmm. know, I've dealt with these things with God with me and God. You know, um I still even got into some trouble after this whole turning point. Mhm. Mm you know, I still I still had things to work on. Um like a lot of people don't even know that <laughs> I was debating on whether I was going to share this or not, but I got to be transparent. I got to be honest with myself. You know, January 1st, 2019, I was incarcerated again. And I sat in jail for 28 months without trial. Yeah. 28 months. My grandmother died, and a piece of me went with her. Wow. A piece of me really went with her. And it contributed to me doing something I would have never done. And it involved a gun. You know, and God, God has been good to me, man. If you don't know, I've been home maybe 18, 17 months, 18 months. I've accomplished a lot in these 18 months, but that's only because of God. Mm. they were trying to give me eight to 16 years for what I did that day from what 
my mental nervous breakdown caused. Mm-hmm. They don't care that I was dealing with hurt and suffering because I lost my grandmother. Right. I broke the law. Mm-hmm. You know? When I tell you God showed up for me, mm. he showed up for me. And the whole time I was in jail, sober, I'm fellowshipping, preaching, sharing my story, because I'm trying to tell people, look, man, we might be away, but it starts in here, too. Right. Yep. Starts in here, too. I actually created the rough draft of my children's book in there. That's awesome. Because my first day in, I told God, I, I, I said, God, I don't know how long I'm going to sit in here. Please show me how to not let one second in here be in vain. Mm. And he began to show me. He began to show me. And am I perfect? No. Do I still make mistakes? Yes. I'm human. Right. But you know what I've learned? I've learned to be grateful that I can never reach this spiritual plateau of perfection where I won't need church anymore, where I won't need prayer anymore, where I won't need scripture anymore. I'm glad that's not even possible. Right. Because it allows us to grow limitlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, it allows us to remain teachable. Yes. It allows us to remain progressive and to, and to keep going. Yeah. So I'm... I'm blessed, man. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. But the fact that I am a felon, a successful small business owner, a published author, a, a father, a mentor, these things were not humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Humanly, key word, humanly. God intervened because he heard my plea and he saw my heart. And he knew a purpose that he had for me that I wasn't even anywhere close to uncovering. Right. Like, I literally have a judge, a judge who calls me when he's having trouble with kids in Coatesville and directs them to me. Oh, that's amazing. That is God, man. Mm-hmm. For me to help people through their hells because of how God got me through mine. Mm. To God be the glory. That's inspiring. That's so inspiring. Amen. If you could provide advice for young men today, you know, especially with all the things that's going on with, you know, weed and social media and just everything that we was raised up on and more these days, what would it be um, for the young men? What advice would it be? I would have to say to don't work so hard to be cool. Don't work so hard to try to be cool or look cool. Because when you do that, you compromise morality. Mm. Most times. You compromise principles. You compromise how God ordained us to live. I cannot tell you how many times there was moments I tried to be cool 
and it really bit me in the butt. Mm. You know, you got these kids out here these days. It's a really different day and age today. Right. These kids are coming from yes, two-parent households. They're coming from households that has an accumulation of like $150,000. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're coming from good places, love, support, care. And they want to get out here and be cool. Be cool. That's By so doing yeah. the stuff that's going to put them in jail. Mm-hmm. I lied to you not. I had a friend who dropped out of college to sell crack with us when his dad paid his full ride at Lincoln University. What? That's not wow. That's not cool. No, it's not. So my advice would be don't try to be cool, man. Because being cool could give you a life sentence. Trying to impress other people could kill you. It could give you a life sentence. And it's not worth it. Because when you get into that cell, those people you were trying to be cool for. They disappear. That's true. You're by yourself. They disappear. I've been through it. They disappear. One of my friends from preschool disappeared. Mm. So don't try to be cool. Ain't got nothing to prove to anybody. That's right. God. But God's not going to judge you either way. That's right. That's great advice. And you spoke about when you were in jail, how you started to write a children's book. Can mm-hmm. you tell us? Can you tell us more about that? And yeah, tell us where we can find you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I created a uh, a Christian children's book titled "Because I Love You," and um, the theme is, um, you know, children are very inquisitive. They're very mm-hmm. curious. You know, and I wanted I wanted to I wanted a way to 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 ease my son towards God, him being seven now. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted I wanted a way to ease him towards God in a way that wouldn't be so complex. Right. You know, so this book is about four different children. I actually made my son a character in this book. Okay. Um, it's four different kids from four different ethnic backgrounds. Because I wanted the book to be able to be picked up by anyone. Yes. No, I wouldn't wouldn't want a parent or a child to see, oh, my skin color isn't one of those kids. Mm -hmm. We can't can't get the book. Right. You know, so I went through Palmetto Publishing. Um, It's currently on Amazon because I love you. But the theme is children, these children are walking, are going throughout their days, you know, asking God, talking to God, asking him, you know, a, a variety of questions. Why this? How this? And they're doing it in the form of a rhyme. So, hence the title, Because I Love You. That's how God responds to their questions. To show them that everything is ordained and created because of his love. Even the most simplest things as the sky being blue. You know, that his love is spread equally no matter if you're black, white, tan, orange, purple. No matter if you're rich or poor. There there's there's actually a um there's actually a section in my book of the black kid where he asked God, like God, why didn't my dad come back? Mm. 
and God responds because I love you. Because there is a plan, a master plan that God has. We might only be able to see a small piece of it, but he has the world in his hands. He has yeah. our lives in his hands. So there's certain things that we have maybe have been through that were traumatic or a couple of hardships or whatsoever that he turned into a greater purpose. I mean, look at me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I like to hold up my book. This is what it looks like. Uh, uh, that's, oh, that's my son right here. Okay. And I did the illustrations. I did the speech bubbles. I colored everything. I did all that. That's amazing. But yeah, it's currently on Amazon. Um, I also ship and deliver. Um, Amazon has it for thirteen dollars. Uh, I sell mine for ten. They gotta take their commission. Commission. No. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta take their commission. But yeah, it's 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 a project that you know hinted at one of my purposes in life. Mm -hmm. Because I've always been artistic, but I never used my artistic ability to serve the Lord. Mm. You know, and that's something that I realized that I got to start using my skill sets to serve the Lord. Yes. Mm. Speaking of skill sets, before we actually close out, can you tell us about your small business and? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let's talk about it all. Yeah, you know, yeah, tell let's... us about your small business before we close out. Right. Okay. Well, um, after I got out of rehab, I started Todd Handyman Hood LLC. And, um, man, it was a rough start, man. I mean, I remember people slamming doors in my face and everything, man. Like, I, I didn't know anything about you can't solicit in certain neighborhoods and all that. Like, but um, I started off as a painter. So that's what I do primarily. Painting is, okay. is, is uh, what I do primarily, interior, um, exterior. And um, I also provide lawn care and landscaping, junk removal, power washing and light home repairs i'm very transparent i okay. will not tell you something i will not tell you i can do something and then you know come learn it on your time and dime i'll refer right. you i'll refer you to someone else you know mm -hmm. like i don't need the money that bad right you know um my business my my overhead allows me to be very affordable because i am one guy you know like and i'm not motivated by money mm -hmm. you know like mm. i've literally i've literally had customers cry to me because of the money I've saved them because what I was uh, comfortable making, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not out here to buy a Rolex. I'm not out here to buy a brand new Mercedes. I'm just trying to make an honest dollar to make sure my children are taken care of and to make sure I don't have to revert back to what I know. Mm, you know, um, Todd Handyman Hood on Facebook. I'm five star reviewed. Five star, um, yes. Five star yeah. Um, you know, it, it's crazy because when people contact me, first thing they say is like, "You come highly that's recommended. That's Your reviews are amazing." And I'm just like, "Man, like that's the awesome views make difference." <laughs> yeah, like, it does. I used to be known for different things, right? You know, like, and to have a business. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times people will just give me the key to their house, mm. and it's just me in the house, you know, that kind of trust, that kind of confidence in me, you know, like that's God given, man. Right. You know, like now, although all, you know, I was a felt, 
I'm a felon, so I, I couldn't get a decent job, you know, to provide for my family, you know, so I just started doing that, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I mean, my first week working for myself, I made like $1,500, and because okay. uh, Cra- Craigslist has a gig section where people mm-hmm. are hiring, like, handymen and people for odd jobs and stuff, and that's how I built my clientele, mm. and then, you know, over the years, you know, I've had my my very first customer, Tom, hey, Tom, if you're watching, he um he actually plugged me in. He actually plugged me in with his realtor, and that's how I got in with Keller Williams, and I started doing a bunch uh, of their house awesome. and stuff, and, wow. and then I started doing a bunch of stuff for uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Remax, and I'm like, look at me, like you busy. This you dude busy. who came from who came from the that? streets, like doing this, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't I don't even have to chase down work now, mm. like. Wow. I don't. I don't. I don't have to chase down work. I just bought a new work truck. You know, like, I my small business is paying big bills right now. Come on. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, I just financed my very first car. You yes. Know, like, Your small business wow. is a big business in hand. Man, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a blessing. It really is. It really is a blessing because God knows my worth. A company doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's, 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 you know, no, no offense to, you know, anyone who has a nine to five, you know, like I commend you to, for having that kind of commitment. I couldn't do it, you know, um, but God has been good to me, man. You know, this bit, this, this journey I've been on as an entrepreneur has opened up so many different doors for me. And I'm actually currently working on a Christian cartoon animation. I'm working on a Christian clothing line. I'm working on an urban clothing line yes. and I'm working. I'm also working on an autobiography about my battle with alcoholism. So like God put me on this path to fulfill my purposes, you know, like, yes. because this entrepreneurship, it's opened me up to get involved in different markets also, yes. you know? Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yep. A man of many titles that God has given you. And we're going to be singing some of these one of these days, right? We're going to have uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, let's just say Chris Brown wouldn't be who he was if I decided to jump. Here come the cockiness. If, Here if come I the cockiness. Off the course, man, like Chris Brown, lucky. He's lucky. He's lucky. <laughs> So, Todd, we thank you so much for coming on and sharing your testimony, especially it's such an amazing thing what God has done in your life. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully someone or young somebody, young man or young woman that is running the streets would take heed to your story because God can do anything to anyone. He can change them in ways that you will never know. Yeah. And. Thank you again for sharing our for sharing your brave testimony. Uh, and there is one question we ask all our guest speakers. Mm-hmm. What makes you uncommon? What makes me uncommon <laughs> is that I was counted out the moment I came into this earth. And guess what? I'm still here. I'm still here. Still here. By the world standards, I shouldn't be. But mm. I operate on God's standards. So come on. Yeah, man. Yes. Come on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Shannon, do we have any questions for the viewers? 
No questions, just comments. Thank you, Luz, for tuning in. Thank you, guys. It was an honor. Thank you. I'm about to order this Domino's. <laughs> you gotta wait. You gotta wait. You gotta wait now. You gotta wait. <laughs> thank you to our viewers for tuning in, and thank you again, Todd, for your brave testimony and sharing everything in your life and what God is good. Going to do what God is doing and what He's going to continue to do in your life. Yes. And all I can say is God bless you and everything. God bless. Thanks. And to everyone, thank you again for tuning in. Um, as I am closing out, make sure you check out our apparel at www.uncommonwomen.net, as well as make sure you go check out our YouTube channel at Uncommon Women Podcast. Uh, like and subscribe. Um, and also, uh, Tune in with me uh, September 13th at 7 p.m. I have, we'll be speaking on awareness on Sickle Cell. I have an amazing guest speaker coming on um, Instagram Live at Uncommon Three Women. Make sure you come check me out that day. And make sure you come check, uh, check us out next week at 7 p.m. for another amazing testimony. And everyone, as always, don't forget. Stay on comment. Bye. Bye. Right, see.